Welcome to The Author Show, where we feature new authors and books, from fiction to self-help and everything in between. You'll find it all at theauthorshow.com. That's theauthorshow.com. And now let the show begin. Welcome to The Author Show. I'm Danielle Hampson, your host. And before I bring in today's guest, a quick reminder that selected interviews on The Author Show are available in our iPhone app, which can be downloaded in the App Store, as well as on TV on the Roku channel and Amazon Fire TV. Our app name on all platforms is simply The Author Show. Now, on to my guest, John Goodwin, who is the president of Galaxy Press and a whole lot more. So I will leave it to him to let us know all the great things that he is very much involved with on his mission to help authors. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you, Danielle. It's great to be able to speak with you again. It's been, I think, Several years, like five or six years since we last spoke. Yes, you and I met at Comic-Con in San Diego in, my goodness, in 2014. And exactly. You, yeah, and you then came on the show, and I'm laughing because I'm still thinking of the photo you sent me <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I did not remember we had done that. <laughs> yeah. So, but in any case, lots has happened in these past six years. You remain, of course, president of Galaxy Press, mm-hmm. but there yes. is also Battlefield Earth, Author Services, Writers of the Future, and we will center our conversation on Writers of the Future, but give us a brief idea of what all Battlefield Earth and author services, please? Sure. Well, since we last spoke, we re-released Battlefield Earth. It was, um, Battlefield Earth was a story written by Owen Hubbard in 1982 that was originally published. And it's been, um, when it first came out, it was like eight weeks in the New York Times. And it was, for him, a celebration of 50 years as a professional writer. And he specialized in science fiction as the last genre that he was really involved with during the golden age of science fiction. And so in in writing that book, it relaunched him into that world of science fiction and fantasy. And so after releasing Battlefield Earth, he wrote Mission Earth, and then we also created the Rise of Future Contest, which we'll speak about a bit later. But a few years ago, in 2016, we re-released Battlefield Earth, and that was an amazing, successful event we uh, crashed a spaceship on Hollywood Boulevard. We, we closed down <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard and crashed a spaceship. It hadn't been done before, so all, every news channel covered it. And so it just got amazingly great coverage from all the networks. And it hit number one in the United States when that happened. And we also released the um, Battlefield Earth audiobooks, an unabridged audiobook with 67 actors, 47 and a half hours long and over 150,000 sound effects. And so wow. it's kind of like listening to a movie. It was, <laughs> it just it had so many amazing reviews. It won several awards, including the uh, Audio Award, which is the top honors given by the Audio Publishers Association. So that was in 2016. And it continues to do really well as a book and an audio book. And that's available pretty much everywhere you can get books. And now that Barnes & Noble and Books A Million are opening up again, you can get it in the stores as well as online and, of course, on Amazon. Well, since you obviously appear not to be so busy, you also, <laughs> you also added two podcasts, one called, I believe, To the Stars and the mm-hmm. other Writers of the Future. Now, why two? How different are they from one another? And what is the goal here? Well, Writers of the Future is following with the original purpose and basically the 
the reason why Rise of Future was created in the first place back in 1983 when, when Elrond Hubbard launched it was to provide a means for the aspiring artist. Originally, it was writer, and then a few years later, it included illustration as well. So it's both a writer and illustrator to have a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. And it has grown from the original year of, I think, 386 entries in the first year in 85 when, that, when it actually launched to now we have thousands of entries every quarter. And we have entries from over 175 countries now. It's international in scope. So that podcast was created to give the past winners, our judges. We had recently Tom Doherty, the publisher of Tor, did a whole interview talking about in future science fiction and the importance of writers of the future for that. But it's an opportunity for people who aspire in the uh, genre of science fiction and fantasy to get some tips from from people on who are doing it as a vocation, somebody who's doing it as an avocation, how you transition from your from a regular day job to professional writer. All these different things are covered in the podcast and that's the purpose of that. We have writers and illustrators, judges from both camps that talk. So we've got so far I just published the 72nd podcast last night. I try to do one a week. So that's what that is. The To The Stars podcast specifically is about the role of science fiction in getting man into space. And hmm. so there, that I go more into the interviewing people from Jet Propulsion Laboratory or Space Administration type individuals or or I did an interview with Larry Niven, who wrote Ringworld, you know, and that whole thing, you're like, how science affected that. And so we talked about that. So that's a little bit of a different angle on, on science fiction heralding science fact. So that's the difference between the two uh, podcasts. Now, you mentioned already basically the mission of Writers of the Future, but let's go to the contest uh, themselves, Writers of the Future and Illustrators of the Future. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned earlier, it started in the 80s and it expands every single year to an incredible amount of people who enter the contest. To what do right. you attribute that expansion? Well, the first thing I attribute it to is the fact that the contest itself has stayed true to its purpose since the beginning. We're not political. We're not anything about any other than just straight, are you a good artist? Are you a good author? Right. And the judging itself is blind. So the judges only see the story or the art and a number. They have no idea if it's male, female, nationality, ethnic, anything. So there's no bias. There's no bias at all. It's strictly you win based upon that, and it's free to enter. So there's nothing else like that at all. And for the artists, what's important is that they maintain full rights to their art. That doesn't happen out there. And the writer as well has has his rights as well that he retains for his story. So the whole purpose is to, on a global scale, really provide for the future of science fiction, fantasy, art, and writing. And so that's probably the the main thing going, because you've got the judges who are the biggest names in science fiction and fantasy who give their names to it, who support it, who publicly promoted in the, all the events that they attend, and that several of them are teachers. They tell their students in the books that they write, enter the Writers of the Future contest. So that's the main thing that makes it go, because there's no question about what the contest is. And the second thing is 
people like you, Danielle. Like I talk to you, and then you have the people that listen to your show, and they find out about it. So it's the media that like lets it be known. And so now you have your global listenership. We just did something in Mexico or in Canada or in UK, or I do podcasts that go out there and they tell people about it. So I just did somebody then, one of our recent winners from Iran. So it gets around and people listen and go, wow, I want to check it out. And so they find out about it and they find out that that it's open to anybody. We've even you know, had winners in their 60s who are looking for a second career as they evolve in their, you know, in their life. So it's, it's something that anybody can come in. I had, you know, we've got doctors. We had one doctor a few years ago, John Schofstall, who was our grand prize winner. And he was an emergency room specialist in uh, Chicago working the graveyard shift, which is just you can only imagine how bad that is. So he said, I tried becoming a, an author when I was young and I couldn't make it. So I became a doctor instead. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I could tell it was a doctor from when he submitted his story, you know, when it was, when it was published. Oh, this is, this is a, a medical doctor because of the way he described things. And sure enough, he was. But just a real nice guy. And you got people from all ages. One lady who, was, who sold real estate all of her life. She was 65 when she won. She was another grand prize winner. And just one of the nicest people you ever want to meet. But then we've also got, it hasn't been writers. Writers are normally around the youngest is about 20 because you need to master the, the basic use of English, you know, sure. grammar. And, sure. But for illustration, they seem to mature a bit younger. So we've had, we had one winner that was, in fact, this year from Turkey, who was 15 when she won. She's just like, just an amazing artist. She's now 16, but it's just, it's open to anybody. So that's one thing that really makes it go good. And so when I talk to people like yourself and it goes out to everybody listening, I can give that a shot. And it's just, it's free for everybody. And it's, if they look at the website, writersofthefuture.com, they'll see all the judges and they'll see, wow, these are their heroes. These are people they've been reading or watching or aspiring to be all their life. So if these guys are saying this is a good thing, then absolutely. Plus several of our judges actually got their start from Writers of the Future, like Dave Wolverton, Dean Wesley Smith. He was the first person to cross the stage back in 1985 when he was awarded. And Robert Sawyer, he never won, but he submitted all the time as he was starting. Brandon Sanderson was a finalist in the contest. And, you know, we've got Nadia Korfor, who's very popular now. She was published about 12, 13 years ago. And Nina Creaky Hoffman was a winner. Eric Flint was a winner. David Farland was a grand prize winner. Kevin Anderson, he never won, but he submitted 25 times, I think, before he disqualified himself as, you know, no longer <laughs> not no longer able to to enter. But when he went on stage, when we made him a judge, and he did his first article for the for Writers of the Future, he got there and he said, raved up his hands in a triumphal, you know, uh, salute. I've finally been published in Writers of the Future. <laughs> Now, one of the big draw also to your contest is, of course, the big event that you typically hold in April. Now, I've been dying to attend your event, and unfortunately, each time I was planning to come, but something happened that got in the way, and here I am six years later, still not having been able to do that. But I truly, by the way, I truly hope to be able to make it at some point. Now, that said, during that event, you always release the annual L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future. How is releasing a book like that different now compared to past years? And on top of that, how did you counter the lack of event this year due to the pandemic that we are living through right now? Well, let's see. I'll break that question into, into two pieces here. One is, 
we've continued to expand. Now we do the, our events in Hollywood, and it works out better that we're able to get the, all the winners because part of the event is a week-long workshop that we fly in all of our judges that these guys can actually study under. But the event itself has grown to be a major media event. It's like a Hollywood gala. Some have considered it the Oscars of the science fiction fantasy. And so we've done that. We have usually 30 media show up for it to be able to interview the winners. And it gets a lot of international coverage because we have winners from all over the world. So the international media want to come and cover them. Sure. So this year we weren't able to do that, obviously, because of the um, COVID-19, the pandemic. So we've tentatively reset our schedule for August 27th, and then we'll see what happens on that. But what we did do is we had our first event, which is something that's very special that we that we always do called the big reveal, where the artists and the authors meet for the first time. And we put up all the art and the artists stand around the side and the artists and then the authors are then led into the room and they have to walk up and pick the, the illustration for their story. And then when they, when they stand by their illustration, the artist comes up and introduces themselves and they start talking to each other. And it's a very emotional event. The artist, because they're being admired for something they've done. They've never done this before. And the writer for that, somebody actually took their story and visualized it, something that they can't do as a writer. You know, that's got to be such a great boost in their confidence. It is. It really, really is. And they become lifelong friends. Several of them have started and done projects afterwards, writing children's books and stuff, where then what the illustrator illustrates uh, the story that the writer writes. But what we did this year was we set up a Zoom event and we had all the writers and illustrators from all over the world participate in it. And we did the same thing. We, I rotated. We, we did all the 12 pieces of art to start with. And then we went through and then we put up the first piece. And then the writer would say, that's mine. And the illustrator would then <laughs> pop up and you could see the faces would, would pop up when they started talking. And then they, and they gave them like 30, 45 seconds to chat with each other. Then we went to the next piece of art. So... It was still very emotional, not as much as when it was live, but it was, what's good about it is that we're able to have so many more people see it than we're able to see it in the past when it was just a private event in here the, where we had the workshops. So that was, that was very, very nice, and we, everybody was able to meet each other then, and that's kind of like how we kicked off the release of Writers of Feature Volume 36 in early April. Wonderful. Now, going to the book, Volume 36, which you released this year. Mm-hmm. The first time you came on the author show, you had released volume 30. You are now right. at number 36. How different are these two volumes? And is there anything that makes volume 36 special from your perspective? Yes. Volume 30 was the first time we changed the format from mass market paperback to a trade paperback. So that was the first time we did that. We now have it where still trade paperback, but instead of having the art one thing that's, that we've done that's really advanced the whole recognition of artists is that now the illustrators of the future have their art in color as well as black and white that goes with the, in the story itself. And those color plates are in the front of the book. So the first thing you see when you open up the book are the color images of all the uh, illustrators, which is just, it's, it's a real validation to them and the quality and the diversity too, because you see, there's all types of art, and this is something that's more pronounced this year than I've ever seen before, where we have one of our winners from Vietnam. His art is totally different than the illustration from Iran, which is totally different from UK. So you see the different forms of art 
that permeate and it shows also there's not a preconceived idea from judges of it has to be this type of art anything as long as it qualifies as illustration and it's obviously got to be really good is what wins and illustrates the future so what i see this year that makes this book a bit different is the diversity of art that is actually one showing just how much the international scope of the book and this is the first time we've also taken you know, where someone, because it's obviously in English, but you've got American English, you've got Australian, you've got UK. So whatever version of English a winner submitted and won in, that's the version of English that's in there. So if it's UK English, that's what's in this in the book. It's not all been converted to American English. So that's one thing that's a different this year than we've ever done before. The book cover is absolutely stunning. How is it selected? Well, The coordinating judge for the Illustrators of the Future contest, Echo Chernick, had originated last year, I'd like to propose a cover. And so she came up with the idea. She painted it. And the whole idea of this was these eggs. There were two eggs, two phoenix eggs, which is the first time that ever happened. Because normally when a phoenix burns up, then it comes back to the next egg. It's one egg, but this time there were two eggs. There was one you see, there's, that's hatched in front of the, uh, the princess, and the other one she's holding in her hands above her head. And... The whole theme of that or the theory behind this that Echo wanted to do was the hope and the aspiration of what the Phoenix provides that we have all these new young artists and writers and what will they bring to the world in the future? You know, what kind of hope and joy can they bring, which is what the Phoenix represents. And so that's what you wanted to do is representing the contests as something that provides hope and aspiration for aspiring writers and artists and for the genre in the future. So that's That's pretty much what that's about. And that was really validated by a, an amazing book review that just came in yesterday from Midwest Book Review, where the reviewers said, Writers of the Future is the gold standard of emerging talent into the field of science fiction fantasy that has contributed more to the genre than any other source. So that was a really nice review for for this book, Volume 36. Yeah, it's a great endorsement. Absolutely. So, okay, so there's the annual book an event that follows the quarterly contest. But then, mm -hmm. in addition to the annual anthology, you also have the Writers of the Future Forum, the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast, the blog, and now you have also launched a new online Writers of the Future workshop. Why do you do so much for aspiring writers and artists? It was pretty much, you know, I guess it could be simplified as by saying, It was a, an original an objective for Mr. Hubbard. Even going back into the 30s and 40s when he himself was one of the most successful writers in at least American fiction, he would write for the um, writers' magazines. And he'd have different articles, which are the articles that we're using now in the Writers of the Future workshop. And when he was in Alaska on an expedition, he created a, an awards event up there too, the Golden Pen Award for writers. So it's something that wasn't new to him, but the whole idea of, of helping the aspiring young writers was something that was important to him. And so he put in his will to continue this contest after his passing, which happened in 86. And so he continues to fund this out of his royalties, and he remains still a very high-selling author. So part of what he directed was for this to, uh, to occur. And so we continue with, with that mantra that he established back then. And I got to tell you, it's just, it's so rewarding for me as a publisher to do this. It's something that's 
something that I really enjoy doing and everybody else here at Author Services and in Writers of the Future, you see these people that now end up with these major careers as a writer that obviously they're, they're the ones that wrote the stories, but to be able to help and give that reassurance, don't quit, don't give up, yeah. is really important. It's really important to people like keep on going. You know, There's not a whole lot of encouragement out there. You have a lot of, unfortunately, creative people tend to have, I guess, creative suckers that attach themselves to them. <laughs> well, well, you well, you mentioned keep on going. Now, let's focus on that for a second. Will uh-huh. this effort continue in its current format, which is, of course, science fiction, or are you eventually considering expanding this to other genres? Well, we're going to keep with science fiction and fantasy, speculative fiction. So it's science fiction and fantasy and light horror. We keep that going, and that's that in itself is quite a mouthful. The thing about the, <laughs> I got to say, I got to say, but with the, this creative writing workshop that we just did, even though you've got Orson Scott Card, Tim Powers, and Dave Farland, the ones that are giving the, the 13 video lectures, what's in here applies to any storytelling. So even though they themselves are talking about the writers of the future, which is speculative fiction, you can take these things on, on the whole section on creating suspense. Well, you got suspense in every genre. So it applies to any form of So whether a person wants to do romance, adventure writing, or science fiction fantasy, these tools apply to everything. How do you research a story, the importance of research? How do you do these various points on, on entering a story, starting a story? What what makes it go right, what makes it go wrong. It applies to any genre. So this online writer's course is something that any aspiring writer can take and learn something from. Further going with the Writers of the Future workshop, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I will be doing soon a full-blown interview on that very topic with actually your wife, Emily Jones, who mm-hmm. spares had that workshop. But I think it's really a great idea, as you said. It makes sense that you know people who learn how to write, it doesn't matter whether they write science fiction or fantasy, there's still a certain basic concept of writing that you have to apply on all book genres. So I'm glad to hear that it is being open to other genres as well. And again, I'll be going in detail with uh, Emily on this. So That's great. Yeah, it's again, it's the purpose that Mr. Harvard created originally was to help aspiring writers. And he definitely was very keen on that. And so that anybody that can use this, and you'll, you'll be getting more about this uh, next week with, with Emily, but any, anything that we can do to help aspiring writers, it's just really important. It's, it's creativity. Yeah, and yeah. being able to, to encourage creativity is just so important. I have a copy of volume 36, which I went through, and there's great stories in it. And again, the illustrations are phenomenal. John, mm-hmm. may I please ask you to share with us an excerpt from one of the short stories that is in this year's volume? Sure. And I took the, just the beginning of the first story in the book because I figure that's the most politically correct for me to do once... <laughs> Once all the writers say, why'd you pick that one? Why'd you get that one? So I'm going to say it's the first story in the book, and that's the total significance of it because it's like saying, you know, a father with 12 children, who's your favorite? (laughs) Yeah, right. He's like, you're not going to do that to me. (laughs) Okay, go for it. I have 12 favorites, so here we go. So this is The Trade, and The Trade is written by uh, C. Winspear and illustrated by Arthur Bowling. It was the best view humanity had to offer, but I still felt unfulfilled. I held my camera a few millimeters from the zenith window of the International Space Station's cupola and gazed down at what had become the common side of Earth hanging beneath me. 
from up here, you couldn't tell that the planet was heating up or that the nations had nuclear ICBMs pointed at each other. I zoomed into clouds and continents and snapped shot after shot, hunting for something in that arcing landscape of blues and whites, maybe angels. Whatever it was, I didn't find it. I stood on top of the world, but today the view made me feel uneasy, odd. Maybe I'd feel better if I was over the moon. I swung the camera around and snapped my daily selfie. Husband tax, Oleg called it. Sometimes I felt bad for not missing him as much as he missed me. I checked the photo and grimaced at my unruly zero-G hero and the wrinkles under my eyes. At least my smile looked bright and cheerful, convincing enough even for Oleg, who should have known better. My unease remained, a silent siren of discomfort in the back of my mind. What was the problem? It couldn't be vertigo or fluid shift. I'd adjusted to that. I glanced out the port window at the space station remote manipulator system, the station's huge Canadian robotic arm. Wasn't the SSRMS supposed to have moved along by now in its survey? Ground must have found something. Maybe I was anxiously anticipating their call. Or maybe I felt uneasy because the magic of space had already become dull and routine, as if the majestic sight of Earth from orbit was no more special than the view out of my old kitchen window. I made it up here onto the ISS. And yet, after two months, this amazing life in microgravity no longer produced any sense of thrill or achievement. What was wrong with me? My name, Lena Sokolov. John, thank you for sharing that excerpt uh, with us. Now, is there anything else that you wish to share that I may have not covered? Well, I'd like to tell people that this book is available (laughs) for them to be able to get. And in the book itself, it also gives how you can enter either contest and the one thing that many of our judges will say, too, is if you are an aspiring writer, you know, read the stories in the book. These are writers who, up until this book, were amateur. This is their transition story to being professional. So if you want to know how good you have to be to get published or to be considered of professional quality or professional standard, this gives you uh, a benchmark you can use, both yeah. in, in terms of illustration and and uh, storytelling. and also, in like, how do you create suspense? How do you create an introduction to a new uh, character? How do you start a story that's a short fiction? Because these have a maximum of 17,000 words, but a lot of the stories are 5,000, 6,000 words. So how do you do this stuff successfully? And that's what these stories provide. Plus, every book has usually three articles on how to write, illustrate. This year, we've got one with uh, Sean Williams on how to co-author books. So he does a lot of was just like Larry Niven used to write a lot of books with a few different authors, mostly Jerry Purnell. He then took what he got from Larry Niven, an article he wrote, and then he expanded upon that. And that article now is in volume 36. And how do you co-author stories and books so that we try to provide this information so that aspiring writers can actually make it. You know, that's, there's no idea of like, this is our competition. No, these are our, our future mates. Yeah. Now, you said it is available. Where can readers find out? Where can they purchase volume 36 of the L. Ron Hubbard Present Writers of the Future? And where can they find out more about the contest? Well, you can go to writersofthefuture.com. That has everything there that has where you can get the book, but it also has the podcast, the blog, the workshop. It has the history of all 36 years. You can go back and just see all the previous events and all the winners. We have pages with all the judges, past and present. The book itself is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Independence All Over. In Canada, it's got, you have uh, Indigo. So the book is very much available. In terms of how to enter the contest, 
writersoffuture.com has two portals. One's for the enter the writers of contest and the other is enter the illustrators contest. So you can even do that online. You can still mail in your entries, but most people transition out to entering online right now. Yeah, that is the best way. Well, John, thank you so much for all that great information that you shared with us today. And thank you for spending some time with me. So, And I know that there will be another volume next time, next year, actually. So when it is released, will you please come back and share it with our audience again? I would very much like that. And I'm really hoping that when I send my invitation to you, the, all the stars align and you're there at the event. I hope so. As I said, two or three times I've, I've had discussions with your PR person so many times about this. And each time I, the gods out there do not want me to go to Hollywood. Yeah. So exactly. no, hopefully I'll make it this year. So thank you so much for the new invitation. Now I will close with a short excerpt of one of the many book reviews on L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, volume 36. Quote, Wow. Make sure you have a little time when you open the pages of this one. The first page of the first story pulls you in and starts you on a roller coaster ride of wonder, amazement, and fresh ideas. Houses made of living ancestors, alien first contact, and it just keeps going. Throw in the professional essays and writing advice, and you cannot miss with this one. Writers of the Future has always presented the best in speculative fiction, and once again, it just keeps getting better. End of quote. That's awesome. It is an awesome review, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) It is an awesome one. Now, L. Ron Hubbard presents Writers of the Future 36 is the title of the book. Go out there and get it today. And please share this interview with your friends so that they too have the opportunity to discover the Writers of the Future and illustrator contests and the very talented artists in the book. And remember, the author show may be accessed at any time at the author show.com plus selected interviews can also be found on major platforms like Amazon Fire TV, the Roku channel, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and many more. And whether you are an author who would like to be featured or a reader in search for new books to read, theauthorshow.com is a great place to start. I'm Danielle Hampson. Thank you for listening. Until next time with another author and another great book. Thanks for listening to The Author Show. Find out more about authors and their work at theauthorsshow.com. Theauthorsshow.com. Tune in next time to another great author on The Author Show.